Welcome to What the If, the show. What? The show <laughs> with no music. music. No, you know, I really thought I was getting good at it. I really, those of you who've been listening, you know, this has been a long trial of me trying to get better. And I swear, I think I learned how to ride a bike faster than I It's done. 2020, man. Here Nothing's been, working. Uh, here, yeah, let's try it again. What the if? <laughs> Yes, there was music and wonderful music. Uh, what the if the show where anything can happen and usually does. Mm -hmm. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Professor Matt Stanley of the New York University. Uh, we are both in New York, but you are the only one at a university. Uh, that is correct at the moment, yes. People can come visit, though, if they want to be at the university with me. I've got plenty, plenty right. of space these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't saying that you were the only one at the university, but yes, that might also be the case. Mm -hmm. um, school starts soon. Next week. Next week. All right. And I by will the time need to figure out up, how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, by the time this goes up, we'll see what's happening there. And uh, that other voice you hear is also named Matt. Uh, Matt Williams. How are you, sir? Welcome uh, to the IF. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm doing good. I'm happy to hear uh, New York is uh, doing better than than some places right now. Indeed. Yeah, quite Indeed. a bit of sad stories out there. It is insane. Mm -hmm. um, by the way, you just gave me a good, good little moment just to mention those of you who are interested. We we do have a weekly kind of little mini show that we do uh, about the COVID pandemic. Um, and if you haven't heard it, it comes in the same feed here. So if you subscribe, you'll get that automatically. Um, this shows up in the feed. And about once a week, um, we bring on Gabby Panicia from who's a virologist mm -hmm. from uh, Rockefeller University, and she kind of. We, we look at some news headline of the week about the virus, and she helps us understand the science behind the headlines, which, by the way, Matt Williams, that is also your career. You are also a science, well, you are a science writer. She is a scientist. You are a science writer mm -hmm. uh, for Universe Today, mm -hmm. as well as a host of other awesome uh, media outlets with cool titles like Interesting Engineering. Mm -hmm. There was another one you mentioned about Mars now. Uh, Mars City Design. Yeah, I, I recently Mars? joined them. And uh, yeah, they're uh, Mars Architects or Mars Architects. Mars and, architects. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. And also, yeah, and Stellar Amenities, who are space architects. So, yeah. Oh. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been rubbing elbows with a lot of design and, and uh and architecture people lately. So that's that's going to be very interesting, I think. Oh, well, well, well. well. That's great. We'll be back again. We'll mm -hmm. have. We'll, I'd love to hear more about that. I love architecture. Are, mm -hmm. are these like actual architects who have this as a hobby, or well, these are actual architects, definitely. And um, it's uh, it's it's more of a vocation because this uh -huh. this is now their day job. It's uh, wow. Um, I they they may have other stuff going on there. Uh, we uh, you know I'll certainly learn more about that, but. Uh, as far as I know, yeah, they have uh, they run these nonprofit organizations that are all about fostering designs for living in orbit or on the moon, on Mars, wherever else we can get to in the in the not too distant future. And it's really quite interesting. That is really cool. All right, so so we're, I'm going to jump right to our if this week, mm -hmm. and our if this week. Um, if we were one of these, if we were living in one of these wonderfully designed space habitats, whether on a planet like Mars or in orbit or in interstellar space or integral in the galaxy somewhere, we would be in trouble. Um, you are, uh, I'm going to jump right in and then I'll back up to give a little background, but a little later, but I'd love to jump right into the scenario that we see. Um, so you are covering a phenomenon or a, an idea called the Fermi paradox. Mm -hmm. And I think many of our listeners will know what that is. Mm -hmm. Basically, basically says, you know, uh, and it was Fermi who, who asked this question, 
why do we not see life in the universe, mathematically speaking, considering the number of stars in the galaxy and the number of planets that probably exist around those stars? Mm -hmm. And he was asking this question way before we even had uh, real hard data now in terms of mm -hmm. how many planets exist. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he said, why don't we see any aliens? It seemed like the odds are we really should. So mm -hmm. why is there nobody out there? And there are many theories uh, about, many hypotheses about why that is the case could be that uh, well life is just really hard and mm -hmm. um, it's only happened on earth or maybe we don't survive very long anyway but uh so you you were doing a whole series on these is that right for university Day? and yeah. the one you just published uh is on one of my favorite it's my favorite name anyway of any mm -hmm. of the theories it is called the berserker hypothesis mm -hmm. yes <laughs> And so, if anybody raise your hands, uh, if you played Berserker as a kid on uh, oh, that was that was a good game back in the early arcade days, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Berserker hypothesis. I feel like that needs some kind of music. Oh yes. Yeah, what probably. the if? Here we go. What the if? <laughs> yeah, we're berserkers. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> it's the berserker hypothesis. <laughs> oh boy, we're gonna get some earthlings. We're gonna eat them up. We're gonna get those earthlings and wipe them out of the galaxy. What? I, I think that's actually weirdly <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> that's yeah. weirdly appropriate because if you hear that kind of music, usually. You know, the instinct is turn around, back away you came. Make a run for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> run. Right. So um, tell us what, it, 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 first of all, Berserker hypothesis, is that the appropriate terminology? Uh, it, it is, um, it, it's more like just uh, the nickname or, uh, you know, the catchy phrase from which it's known, kind of, kind of like Big Bang Theory. Oh, okay. um, there, there are other um, there are other versions of it there, like the um, self-replicating uh, alien probe theory or the uh, killer probe theory. <laughs> there's uh, yeah, there's no shortage of them there. But um, yeah, the Berserker hypothesis really works because it 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 calls to mind the uh, um, uh, the science fiction series, which. Uh, is uh yeah where it got its name there and uh the name of it oh, i yeah. don't know that so so what science fiction series is that from yeah. uh that's a good question here let me let me just pull that up is it uh, called the berserker series i think it might be yeah it is and it um it yeah the uh i think the very first book in it was called berserker and uh one sec one sec one sec um okay berserkers there it is so it was uh, Fred Saberhagen, and he, in 1963, oh. he started publishing books, and they, they came to be known as the uh, Berserker series, and then the first one uh, was of uh, that title. And it concerned a, um, it was about in the, the, uh, in the future when humanity began colonizing space and, uh, and growing, they eventually encountered these, uh, um, this collection there of, of self-replicating probes and they they had like base ships and hunter ships and and uh they would uh just constantly be multiplying and creating more of their ships of their own design using whatever material was around them and their only purpose seemed to be to seek out and destroy intelligent life and it was eventually discovered that, yeah, some ancient race built these and uh, lost control of them. And now they're just they're following the same program, um, going from star system to star system and eradicating life because that's their programming. Uh, right, right. So it's basically like um, you they're au like automated uh, dog catchers. Yes. Right. So if, if we created something that was set out to catch runaway dogs stray dogs automatically mm -hmm. um and then that technology got out of control and in they those dog catcher uh like these automated these self-driving vans with mm -hmm. <laughs> giant mm -hmm. nets i'm really imagining the cartoonish dog catcher <laughs> and um 
Yeah, they just run amok. They replicate everywhere. And suddenly they start catching not just dogs, but all things. And uh, basically exterminator, killer bots, runaway killer bots. Yeah, that's right. That that can multiply, right? I think this is the, the, the key yeah. element that makes this mm-hmm. uh, scenario frightening. Um, yeah. Uh, Matt, can you say a little bit about the the self-replicating aspect, what we mean by that? Yeah, well, um, that comes from uh, the idea there is, was came from uh, von Neumann there, the scientist uh, uh, von Neumann and his, his concept for uh, a self-replicating machine. So machines that could um, build more of themselves using whatever material they had on hand. And uh, he called these universal assemblers because it's, it's like the ultimate idea of automated production. You have little robot factories that can produce more little robot factories. And um, yeah, it, the idea was that the, the applications for this would be immense. You send some of those out into space, programmed to um, convert other environments into something that you know humans could uh, be more hospitable. And so they go to Mars and they're doing that. and they. They make sure that they've got enough robots there to convert the landscape into something decent. And yeah, then they go to the next place and the next place. And it's like the idea here was this is a um, sort of a positive uh, self-replicating machine. But uh, yeah, something like that could easily do harm. And if uh, if at any point human beings use that same technology or, or an advanced intelligence use that same technology and programmed it to to be militant, they militarized it, um, yeah, then it would be extremely dangerous. And especially if it could no longer tell the difference between uh, what it was originally intended to, to fight and, and us. So it's, uh, yeah. The, 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 the first victims of it probably would have been the creators. Yes. Itself. And yeah, and so the very, the very frightening idea here is that you have the idea of uh, of intelligent machines, or, or at the very least, just extremely capable machines, uh, turning on uh, their makers. So there's there's all kinds of uh, terms for that. Uh, if humanity ever experienced it, like a robo apocalypse or whatnot, maker side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that too. That idea has been explored at length. The idea of our technology yeah. will kill us, but the. Yeah. You add to that the very scary idea that, well, they'll be around after we're gone, and if, if they can just explore and multiply ad infinitum, what are they going to do when they find somebody else? Probably the same thing. And, yeah. Yeah, although, okay, so, um, uh, one thought that comes to mind is, uh, two, actually, one, one side thought and then back to the main thread. Uh, the main um, first thought, side thought is that, uh, you know, Seth Shostak talks about this often. Seth Shostak, one of the head astronomers at uh, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, mm-hmm. and uh, who primarily uses uh, radio telescopes to listen uh, for trying to find, and, and actually now they also do work uh, looking for optical signals, looking for some signals of alien communication generally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, out in space, right? And, and he has always said that the first aliens we meet are, if we do meet any, are very likely not to be the aliens themselves, but simply some mechanical thing that they made because mm-hmm. you, it's just such a natural thing to want to create uh, either self replicating yeah, some self-replicating thing that can go out and explore farther than you can. So, Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then here we have these these ones that we're encountering are 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 nasty. It seems to me that the way you kill creatures uh, would be different kinds of creatures you would kill in different ways. Oh yeah, and it would seem unlikely that these bots would be um, ready, uh, able to kill everything. Before that thing had a chance to at least run away, let alone yeah. fight back. Yeah, I think often the danger with the self-replicating um, uh, mechanisms is not so much that they're murderous; it's that they're so good at self-replicating that they uh-huh. will turn everything into themselves. So mm-hmm. even if they're not uh, malicious towards us, if we are made of something that they can turn into more of themselves, then they will. And they don't care that we are us, right? Oh, in other words, it just sees us as raw material. Exactly, yeah. right? 
it yeah. doesn't even see us as as us. Yes, and this that too is uh, a, a machine that was originally programmed to do something constructive uh, can do harm because yeah, it's like. Uh, well, yeah, we want to make uh, this planet, which is rocky, and we know enough about it to know it, it could support human life. And it start, they start altering the, the landscape and the environment. And, uh, well, there's actual life there already. What happens to them? Well, they, they're consumed because they right. take good I, building material. <laughs> that's right. I could imagine we, that we have a future you know, version of a Mars rover, for instance, mm-hmm. that is self-sustaining, right? It could, mm-hmm. So in other words, it can, once we get over, the, we feel like, you know, we've mapped everything, we've seen everything, we don't mind sort of chewing up some rocks now mm-hmm. uh, for fuel or whatever. And so, um, or even just starting with like, I don't know, sand or something. Uh, and so the robot starts doing that and discovers, you know, oh, it's good at that. And an interesting thing about the search for extraterrestrial life is that will we recognize it when we find it? Mm-hmm. And so it's very possible that there could be some form of life that the rover doesn't recognize as uh, life uh, mm-hmm. and, or doesn't care. I, actually, here's what, what it comes down to is it doesn't care, right? It's right. Like, that's not a, it, it does not have any line of code that says, if living, leave alone. Yeah. It's, it's right. only line of right. code is make more, make more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, you know, a classic kind of like uh, computer. Uh, science fiction computer malfunction story. Uh, it has a line that says, check for life first, but the most important thing is to maintain your survival. Right? That's usually what mm-hmm. sets, screws up the programming, like HAL in 2001 and things like that. Um, so, uh, I'm still confused. So, Matt Williams. Yes. Um, the, the berserkers are out there. I feel mm-hmm. like well, we would see those. It doesn't really, does it answer the Fermi paradox? Well, yes, that, that's, uh, well, that's the neat thing. And in, in fact, the Berserker probe idea was uh, tapped into as a, as a possible resolution there. And um, uh, it was uh, Glenn David Brin, who was a NASA consultant and a science fiction author as well. Uh, he looked at that there and he, he, he did the, the math or the calculations and said that, well, if let's assume that there is a, a species of uh, robots out there that are self-replicating in there, um, this would explain the great silence, right? It would explain why we haven't heard from any aliens. But yeah, subsequent people took that, put it on its head and said, well, we noticed the, the robots, certainly. I mean, especially if they're going from star system to star system and eating up everything there. Um, and turning it into uh, more robots that would that would leave all kinds of signals we'd notice things disappearing we would probably, right, right. Yeah, yeah we notice significant energy signatures but um yeah and, and so people have have now attempted to say well that's that's actually a good idea let's use that as a as a techno signature let's be on the lookout for stars that were there at during one survey but not there anymore or, right. or even galaxies that disappeared. Um, well, it isn't stars that these things are eating. I mean, they could, I suppose. But these right. things... Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of different things here. Let's go back to the creators of yes. this. The situation that would have given birth to these, to the berserkers, which is such a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what was their initial... So, uh, uh, um, Professor Stanley, mm-hmm. you are in a situation where, for some reason, you rule a planet. Yep. That, that I can imagine. Um, but you, you suddenly have a need to create some kind of self-replicating device that destroys life throughout the rest of the galaxy. Yeah. What happened? What? So what, I should what, say what it's not so angry about th- there. There's a huge list of possibilities here, actually, which is one of the okay. things that makes it so unsettling. Um, okay. When ethics, uh, so sometimes ethicists talk about this problem in the context of uh, nanotech, because that seems likely uh-huh. to be the, the, the field where we'll get self-replicating tech. And they call it the paperclip problem um, for this reason. <laughs> so imagine that I want to make my fortune in paperclip manufacturing because, you know, it's a solid 
area, right? There's always going to be need for paper clips. It's very robust, easy to ship. Right. Um, so I, d- I decide that uh, actually manufacturing each individual paperclip takes too long. So instead, I'm just going to build a machine that turns everything around it into paperclips. Okay. Um, and then it can reproduce itself as well. And by the laws of exponential growth, um, I will produce paperclips at an exponential rate. And that's great. Um, the problem is that I only program the machine to reproduce itself and make paperclips. So, so I'm gonna, but right there, let's just look at this. Okay, mm-hmm. so this is what we do on what the FI. We kind of look for the places where things go awry. Yeah, and so, um, there is a weird thing there. Let me create a paperclip machine that turns everything into paperclips. Mm-hmm. That is a little strange, is it? But you see. It's very, all I want to do is make money. I want to make my paperclip fortune. Um, and the easiest way to do that is just to maybe I say, well, I'll start off with garbage, right? I'll, I'll drop my replicating machine in a a landfill in Staten Island. Right. Um, and eventually that will turn into paperclips and I'll sell the paperclips and I'll be rich. Um, and putting in an AI module that lets it decide whether or not a given piece of material is good for paper clips, that's going to slow down my process a lot. So I'm just going to leave that out. And the only thing my machine knows how to do is replicate itself and to make paper clips. Right. Actually, I, and I could see in, in, a, in a way, like, like many of the great science fiction stories are actually even true things that happen in life. Um, it begins with something good. It could be like, right. wow, we can turn just the technology evolves that so we can turn garbage into a lot more things than we can right yeah, now. True, right? Henry right? Ford's Henry Ford's great idea was with the assembly line, with the factory, was that raw materials go in one side mm-hmm. and cars come out the other, right? And those, but to get those raw materials, he had to work well. Right, but that's, but that's a really good, that's a really good example, right? So the yeah. the paper clip, self-replicating paperclip machine is the ultimate example of Ford's plan. Raw uh, materials in one side, cars out the other. Right. Um, but now the machine does all of that work for us. So that's great, right? I mean, maybe it's producing antibiotics or something. Um, mm. uh, the problem is that it's the nature of exponential growth that very quickly um, the entire surface of the planet is going to be paperclips. clips. <laughs> um, and as as you say, this this didn't start off with me being malicious. This started off with me having self interest, right? I want yeah. to maximize the number of paper clips on the planet, um, and then lazy programming, right? I don't bother mm-hmm. putting in safety mm-hmm. checks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, but then, okay, so it turns a whole. So so these things have turned on the planet, and so uh, instead of paper clips, they are. Berserkers, which are which are creatures that are replicating themselves. So it isn't just paper clips you've got now, but actually, kind of living, you know, without re- being too careful about that word. But basically, uh, um, autonomous anyway. Autonomous, right? Uh, creatures. I keep thinking of um, oh, what's the uh, is it a Heinlein story? A Starship Intruders. Starship Troopers. Starship, Starship Troopers, right? Yeah. Isn't it where they're fighting basically bugs? Mm-hmm. Like space bugs, right? So just runaway insects uh, that all they want to do is turn everything into, they just want to eat everything, right? And multiply. Yeah. So these things have to get off the planet. Uh, so Matt Williams did that. Did, has anyone followed that? There, that seems like there's a huge step right there. Mm-hmm. Why did these things go to another? Well, I guess they just. If you're a yeah. spacefaring nation, it's like actually better. Like we could send these things to the moon and turn the moon into paper clips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the idea is that these it, it's sort of a, a foregone conclusion there, right? It's like we whoever built these developed them for space. Uh because uh, yeah, uh-huh. space is very, very big, very, very cold and inhospitable and lots of radiation and um and when we get to where we want to go it, that too may be really really cold and inhospitable so send out the robots you know let them work with what's out there and make it nicer and then so when we go there when we yeah. cross over it'll be ready for us it'll be all prepared and yeah yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. actually one, one of my favorite examples of that is in um uh 
Kim Stanley Robinson's <sighs> Mars series, right? Red, Red yeah. Mars, Red <laughs> Mars, Red <laughs> Mars, right? <laughs> there are robots that kind of take care of terraforming the planet for us. Um, so uh, these things are running amok. Now, the next question is the first people, for other species that these things encounter. Mm -hmm. uh, they, well, it meets species after species after species, and it seems to me it wouldn't be very long before there are some species that is not defeated by it mm -hmm. immediately, right? Yes. What happens there? That's a good question. And uh, Or is it just that the thing is so, is it possible that there is someone could actually get the programming <laughs> so... Or could it be that actually, well, it wasn't. Maybe it took, this is, turns the Fermi paradox on its head in a way and says, oh, actually, yeah, there have been bazillions of civilizations that have come and gone. And with each one, the berserkers got better at yes. killing them. That's why they're so good. Yes. Well, that would be sort of the Borg version of the hypothesis, right? They assimilate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, there, there is actually a, an example of exactly that. Someone mentioned it to me the other day. Um, the Mass Effect series. Oh, it, uh -huh. the video yeah, games? Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah it, it, uh, it came highly recommended, so I played it and I thought, oh yeah, this is really lovely. And, and it's got that, that very theory at the heart of it, this, this classic hard sci-fi idea. That, um, and they call them the Reapers. And, uh, uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. and it's uh it's a like a, a race of organic and synthetic uh creatures that were once that were created by a, a race and uh every so often they go out they eliminate advanced uh civilizations or they they sort of beat them down to the point where they're no longer you know emerging and uh and and uh possible threat to themselves and to others and they yeah they'll incorporate their um uh, their biology into their whole <laughs> armada. So right. the next time they come around, it's yeah, they've got uh, they've got uh, sort of foot soldier like uh, creatures and ships and all that stuff that uh, that use their the technology that they picked up. And it's yeah, they they evolve with time, and uh, so anybody they meet. It's like, well, we've seen every attempt to defeat us before now, so what chance do you have? Yeah, it's and it is that there is a similarity. Interestingly, I was talking about viruses, and we have Gabby Panicia on each week talking about viruses. It's a little bit like a virus that has evolved to be super deadly. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, Matt Stanley, you were talking about the Borg, and I confess <laughs> that it's I was I was not uh, I have certainly enjoyed and seen a number of episodes of the second the next generation which they call it, right? um, of Star Trek. But I never really, I, I wasn't like so dedicated to it that I really understand the, the stories in depth. The, and my image of the Borg is this, just this giant cube that runs through space and it turns people into Borg. But is there was there a level there that you were alluding to that actually it learns from each? Yeah, their their shtick is that they uh, they when they assimilate you as an individual or a civilization, they right. take whatever is good about you. So if you have some useful piece of technology, then ah, they add right. that to their own, right. uh, and then that makes it easier to take right. over the next civilization they run into. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Um, so how would this play out if we encounter, first of all, we don't know why we haven't seen the berserkers, but it could also be just, well, we just haven't seen them yet. One of the skills they certainly would have developed would be stealth. Mm -hmm. I mean, why not? Uh, I mean, I think one thing that's interesting about artificial intelligence is that uh, like nature itself or evolution, it will kind of, and it'll kind of go to, the most efficient means, right? Uh, what's the what's the least energy expensive way of doing things? And uh, our friend Alistair Reynolds, a great science fiction writer we've had on the show before. Um, I, I don't want to give any spoilers to any of his series, so I'll just say he has a. Um, uh, there's an alien in in his writing called the inhibitors oh, okay. I, was for, I was waiting for someone to mention it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one aspect of the inhibitors is that they they're dormant right and there's 
the only thing that's out there is somehow their sensors or or they're just they're listening i suppose kind of like they're on their seti um but instead of being a nice guy who's an amazing uh wit like seth jostak they're just humorless evil mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> creature uh, yeah uh, that's uh my my first encounter with that um it, it was oh you've encountered them yeah it's what sorry you've encountered the inhibitors uh no <laughs> <laughs> not personally oh god no oh that i don't think i'd ever be the same again <laughs> um yeah the uh my my first encounter with the whole uh uh berserker robot hypothesis that at least that i uh you know could appreciate uh as an adult was reading alistair reynolds and uh yeah and yes uh that that idea has deep roots so uh, looking back at it i think oh wow that was more inspired than i knew at the time but uh, i certainly thought it was very cool as well and it's like yeah the uh this is a theory that's been tested there and in fact, it, it goes to what you said, Shane. If if ever they encounter a race that's able to you know, push them back or hold them back, it's like, well, that's there's a theory for that called the quarantine hypothesis. It's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like we can't wipe you out, but we can keep you the sentient <laughs> life contained, yeah. like maybe within your solar system, maybe within a few solar systems. So, so you'll never grow so big that you're a threat to anyone else. Uh, um, yeah, because you know. Do not cross this line, or otherwise you get a, a million inhibitor bots killing you. So this is amazing. I did, I did not expect <laughs> this story to suddenly work its way into real life, and in uh-huh. spooky fashion, suddenly became. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Could the virus? Could the virus? A virus, let's say, mm-hmm. or viruses in general. I don't know be an example of this kind of a berserker yeah i mean a virus is the model for this kind of thinking right a virus takes over cells in your body to replicate itself and then accidentally kills you along the way but could it be an alien um could covid be just a really inefficient berserker yeah matt stanley i want you to run, run with this run with this hypothesis now yeah somebody's uh some genetic engineer far on the far side of the galaxy um creates a a thing that we come to call a virus a, a little chain of proteins that ends up being really good at taking over cells and replicating itself um and then uh, drops it here uh you know when they're stopping off for lunch on our planet and they accidentally drop it uh and the virus crawls into us and starts replicating um as fast as it can now that is essentially what viruses do um one of the things that happens with uh natural selection anyway is that a virus that's too good at replicating itself um will actually prevent its own spread so ebola for instance um kills people so fast that uh, it can't spread very well right so i'm not sure what the equivalent of that is for the berserkers Mm -hmm. um because viruses have to keep their hosts alive for at least a little while. Um, berserkers don't. With strike, you know, here's another theory, which, uh, and uh, Matt Williams, tell me if you've encountered this. There's the, I can imagine a berserker thing. Um, the, the interesting thing about the, in, the name, the inhibitors, and I'm actually forgetting, I'd have to go back and reread some of the books uh, to see exactly how they operate. But the inhibitor is an interesting thing in that let me forget let's step away from that because i don't know the exact i don't want to wrongly refer to the stories but i can imagine something instead of berserkers but like the the procrastinators (laughs) (laughs) right so they their job is merely to slow things down yeah uh you know that maybe you live maybe the original creators lived on a planet where life evolved on that planet and there was it it was just so successful it was just woo, just went crazy Mm -hmm. and they came. They invented something like viruses uh, to to slow down the, you know, the the production of life on their planet before it, uh, you know, suddenly there was no food or whatever. And uh, then when they encountered life elsewhere, you know, they figured we really need to do this because this this if if when let's here okay so this is even a bigger theory if when life is created wherever it is when when Genesis happens somewhere. 
it could be that actually life is insanely powerful, which actually would mm. would uh, explain a lot of things. I mean, one, life finds a way, right? right. So yeah. Maybe it's like life really finds a way, and um, you need to slow it down. And so that's where this whole thing came about, so that we are created. It could be a panspermia hypothesis, whatever, but we were created, and the whole the 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 mechanism of life uh, has been infected by procrastinators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's very good. Yeah, and uh, a whole lot of names are coming to mind there. It's like the idea is we want to slow things down because otherwise you'll fall into a success trap, right? And oh yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. A, it's a brilliant idea and it and it works on so many levels because it's like human beings have demonstrated this um you know we came out of the last ice age uh and just multiplied exponentially and uh and, and we're, we're still not sure if uh we hunted all these species to death or if it was partly our fault and and the fact that the climate was shifting at the same time and it's like like well whoopsie daisy uh the woolly mammoth's gone and about god knows how many other uh creatures that were really good for meat and fur so what do we do now and yeah it's like to support our numbers we turn to agriculture and then that just made us grow again and yeah it's like it explains all the inefficiencies it explains why yeah. artists are allowed to still exist <laughs> yeah. for instance they don't actually do you know what are they doing they're not so helping um and and all kinds of other things so uh, another name that comes to mind would be the governors which would be an interesting one because governors sounds like you know a, an authoritarian or authority figure who controls like we have governors of the states so in the u.s the head of the state is called the governor um however isn't uh and professor stanley am i correct a governor is also some kind of device or mechanism that keep something from going too fast. It keeps something yeah. That's right. running yeah. at the same speed. That keeps, for instance, an engine running at a constant speed. Right. Or a record player, actually, also is where yeah. I first learned yeah, Anything that. that you need to keep from going too fast. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And now, why do they do that? Why do they... Um, why, why don't you want an engine to go as fast uh, as it Well, can? because usually your engine is driving something, uh, making something work, like, say... Mm -hmm a loomer you know a machine that sews clothes um and the machine is then attached to something that can go at a certain rate and if it goes too fast it breaks or jams or uh, doesn't work as well so almost every machine has a correct operating speed at which it is most efficient right and it's sort of also another word that comes to comes to mind is the harness you're harnessing the power right mm -hmm. like a um a nuclear power plant is like the, whatever the theory behind the the procrastinator hypothesis whatever those the procrastinators yeah. are uh is a little bit like the um the reasons how, how a nuclear power plant functions that in, it needs to contain the power and that way make it stable and long lasting um so can you think of now this is here's a tough one i'm going to throw it out to both of you can you think of a reason why what would you be gaining by slowing down the um, ability of life to replicate too quickly, too perfectly? Well, one would be the worry that uh, they would become a threat to you. That is, there's a finite amount of resources um, in the galaxy, and yeah. uh, eventually we're going to compete for them. So I'm better off if I make sure that other folks grow slowly um so uh, i can yeah. use those resources mm -hmm. uh can i can i throw the second one in here please <laughs> please because i know uh i know professor uh matt there is gonna tackle us if i don't um but there, there's also yeah there's also the possibility uh that you're doing it for their own good or at least you think you are right because mm. they right. Grow, yeah because if right. they grow too fast they'll strip their resources and then they will they'll die they'll collapse so yeah yeah, if you support slower progressive growth, then it's like, well, we're doing you a favor here because otherwise you'd have too many mouths to feed, not enough food, and you'd, you'd grow too fast, and then nature would do its thing. 
they would call you back. And yeah, that's that's another possibility. Yeah, uh, or sort of the kudzu hypothesis. Kudzu. Yeah, the, 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 the runaway <laughs> life form that threatens to to take all the... Also, the way you described it there, uh, Matt, was uh, almost like the master guard, the evil, the selfish gardener. Mm-hmm. We call it the selfish gardener hypothesis. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's like a, we've got a community garden and one of the gardeners <laughs> is poisoning the other. Feels yeah. not so much that he wants... Oh, so here's another reason. He, ah, here's why you'd want to do it. Maybe for some reason, the creators of the uh, procrastinator inhibitor kudzu mechanism mm-hmm. uh, virus, uh, for some reason, they're trying to do it without getting caught. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, that would be, you, you got me thinking that exact thing. I mean, that would be the smart thing for the... Uh... The evil gardener there, or the uh, just the extremely overbearing one, he he would want to make sure that nobody knew he was there. <laughs> and that's right. That's yeah, right. and, and that's people right. would uh, people would notice that their their plants are not exactly exploding, uh, but they they seem to have a stable thing going on, and, and no no plants are overtaking other plants. But yeah, and then they find out yeah, this guy's been sneaking in at night. <laughs> We're obviously very mad at them. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they they weirdly had some good intentions there. We think, <laughs> um, but yeah, that uh, that makes perfect sense if you're some kind of alien overseer. It's like uh, you couldn't stop me if you wanted to, but it's best you don't even know that I'm doing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. if we knew about it, then we might try to do something about it. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. The whole efficient that that's part of that efficiency thing, and why it's best to stay hidden, which is why, like the inhibitors, they stay. Extremely good. Um, another thought comes to mind. I, I'm having a lot of thoughts. I don't know why I'm very uh, energized by these the- theories. Um, uh, this is a little bit like the Matrix. Like, so the Matrix in the Matrix. Uh, again, we we've spoiled this movie so many times. so many times. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to do it again. You know. Um, but uh, yeah, basically in the Matrix uh, idea, humans. Uh, the bodies of the humans, in particular, I think the brains, maybe even, um, you know, it's they're using the the power generated by our bodies to fuel their own civilization. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, <laughs> spoiling it correctly. So, yeah, both of you are Matt. That's right. That's right. Um, and so, another reason to to could to govern the speed. In other words, if we really are being used by some galact, some hidden galactic overlord uh as fuel Mm -hmm. then we are like the plutonium or or the uranium whatever it is in the uh, power they moderate us yeah they get whatever it is we're producing that they want Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm -hmm. well yeah and then therefore the simulation that's just to keep us busy and occupied so we don't know and uh yeah some wonderful jokes uh, have been made about that uh, about Mm -hmm. why that's so impractical but it's it doesn't matter because it's like the the idea is profound and kind of genius, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. Well, plus if we've thought of it, yeah, certainly the yeah, you know, the people on uh, the other side see have thought of it too. Um, okay, yeah. Getting now as we kind of I'm going to start to wrap up. Uh, but how seriously is this particular theory, or if there's another one that's taken more? So these various theories about the solutions for the Fermi paradox, mm-hmm. how seriously are they taken? And are, let the berserker. Let's start with that one. Mm-hmm. Are there scientists who have taken it seriously? Is there any way to test for it? Is any of that happening? Uh, yeah, they think. Yes, there are scientists who have taken it seriously. Um, um, but uh, you know, as 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 serious as scientists take any hypothesis that it's like, well, we can't prove it right now, but it is interesting food for thought, and it gives right. us something to 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 look for to sort of narrow the search for and and yeah the uh the way to look for it um i think i mentioned earlier uh, one way to look for it anyway is to be on the lookout for sudden changes in in a stellar phenomenon so if uh if for example a star is suddenly dimming 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've seen that recently. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, Tabby's Tabby Star. Yeah. Or Betelgeuse. Yeah. Both. Both. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like if uh, if this seems out of the ordinary, let's look closer. Um, it's like, well, the star is being obscured by dust clouds. Well, that's interesting because we've seen like planetary transits and now they're dust. So does that mean the planets have been destroyed? Or, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, if, they, if these, uh, if these, the Alderaan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Astronomers would, would notice the big flash, sure, certainly. But yeah, afterwards, they'd notice all the debris floating around the system and, and it's like, what happened? There's been a disturbance in the forest. Exactly. <laughs> right. uh, we, we don't we don't have the means to do that, unfortunately. That'd tell us right away. <laughs> apparently, right. you can a thousand that. video gamers. Yeah. Crying. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's the main thing. It's like um, the the activity would be noticed, right? These machines are if yeah. they're producing more of their own, if they're harnessing material and stuff, they'd be creating all kinds of energy signatures, and we can see the heat and ultraviolet and gamma rays maybe uh and if they're using some kind of i don't know killer beam to blow things up you can see that too and it's yeah yeah i mean it's all it's all part of the whole you know techno signature and what to look for and are we going to get to a point where we can do that and yeah we're we're slowly getting there so yeah it's it, it is taken seriously because it at the very least it provides um it gives uh, scientists something to look for. It's like, uh, we should look for the yeah. following signatures. We can't say confidently, oh, that's aliens. But, you know, at the same time, we couldn't rule it out. So at least... Right. So in your in your piece, did you, uh, in the most recent piece that you published in uh, Universe Today, right? mm-hmm. um, who was kind of the most senior um, expert that you spoke to? And what were their thoughts uh, about uh, about the about the Zerker hypothesis? Uh, well, it wasn't really someone I spoke to. It was, uh, uh-huh. although no, actually, uh, I'll take I take that back. There, um, the senior person I spoke to was Robert Hansen, and oh. he, yeah, he um, he didn't uh, he didn't write the Berserker hypothesis per se, but he right. um, yeah he created the Great Filter hypothesis. Um, and he was, um, yeah, I spoke to him a little while back when I was doing, uh, the, the third installment in the series and, uh, Zerker hypothesis was, uh, was, uh, number five, I believe. Was he the one that talked, he was talking about global warming. Is that the same Robert? Uh, Hansen? he, he did, he has, yes. He, he yeah, had spoken yeah. about that as a, as a possible resolution of the Fermi paradox. It's like, are we, um. Oh, yeah. of the fair. I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, yeah, there was a Robert Hansen who kind of famously, I could be getting this totally wrong, right? Raised the red flag about global warming, worked for NASA, stuff like that. Oh, um, that's died, probably I, Jim Hansen you're thinking of. Jim, oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, right. So, Robert Hansen, he, um, and what, where is he at? Uh, he is at, uh, he's from Oxford University, uh, huh? their, their Future of Humanity Institute. And it, and oh. yeah, yeah, exactly. Matt, does NYU have a future of humanity we institute? Do not. We are, oh. we have, we see no future in oh. humanity. Uh, wait, <laughs> but, it's the uh, difference uh, between New York and <laughs> yeah. Sorry, one one thing, quick correction. It's Robin Hanson. I think Robin. Okay, I think okay. I said Robert. Yeah, yeah it's Robin Hanson. Yeah. yeah, cool. So, and and the funny thing is, he's a philosopher, not uh, not an astrophysicist. But uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, that, that doesn't matter here because, of course, he's he's looking at he he wrote a paper on it called uh, the uh, the Great Filter. Are we almost past it? And I spoke to him uh, about this, and it's it's basically like if we accept that yeah, and life should be plentiful in the universe, but we're not hearing from any advanced life, then we have to assume that there's some kind of filter which is uh, preventing. So, uh, life from reaching an advanced stage, and if we look at it in terms of what we've done, it's like, well, then you can say there's about nine steps that go from basic um, protein molecules coming together there in DNA and RNA, all the way up to animals who can produce fire and communicate complex notions, and and then create industry, and then space travel. So somewhere along the line, there there's one of these steps is either too hard or there's something that will stop it. Yeah. 
And yeah, I spoke to him about that, and it's like, yeah, the Berserker hypothesis is one such, it is a possible interpretation of that, because it's like, yeah, somebody did the, they made it all the way to step nine, they built machines to make it easier, now that is filtering out life in the universe, because... Uh, who knows? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's programmed to do that exact thing, just like the inhibitors. And uh, it it looks for signs of uh, life reaching the point there where it could actually really spread out and colonize the universe. And it says, you know, stop right there. We're going to destroy yeah. all that. <laughs> so, so Matt Stanley, you I wonder if you have uh, knowledge in this area. Uh, I feel ultimately this comes down to. One of the biggest questions of all, in a way, which is, uh, does let's call it good and evil, <laughs> you know? I mean, the, the, or or selfishness and um, benevolence, or altruism versus selfishness, something like that. Um, that uh, the the selfish, aggressive society versus the benevolent, uh, fostering life everywhere, the cooperative, right? Mm -hmm. um, type philosophy. Uh, is some of this comes down to is like it's like uh, you're mentioning uh, Matt Williams that uh, he's this uh, person this professor is a, a philosopher. Um, ultimately, one of those wins. Is that right? So, well, is there? Maybe. I mean, we have no idea. Right. <laughs> um, right. I could say this. This argument, of course, goes back a long time. Um, it's right. often framed in evolutionary terms, and in the post-Darwinian era, was framed that sort of way. Um, and the pattern you often see is that whatever group is in power um, uses that kind of reasoning to say, "Well, because uh, we're in power, right. it must be good that we're in power." So we should yeah. stay in power. Mm -hmm. um, and within evolutionary theory, sort of on the more abstract level, this is the, the argument around, uh, say, altruism or group selection. That is, are there uh, alternative strategies within evolution other than just trying to kill as much of your competitors as possible? Um, and it's a live question. Um, and that, that former issue, since we are the species on top right now, it's, I feel like you should be cautious about any evolutionary theory that says we're the best because we're the dominant species. Yeah, I suppose if the Fermi, if the Fermi paradox is real in the sense that the one thing we'd be seeing is an extreme imbalance in, um, in other words, that, that if it was the berserker or any of the great filter ideas, I guess, uh, to get to that point, there would have been a lot of competition, right? So you would have had, it. you wouldn't, it's extremely unlikely we would have had the first civilization that becomes powerful is just decides to kill everything else. It doesn't make any sense, right? No, um, that, that's entirely, that, that's totally a solution to the filter <laughs> problem. Or, or that is, that seems like an unlikely, if you imagine, if, if you use Darwinian evolution to imagine how life evolves in the galaxy, Mm -hmm. You know, it would evolve. There would be definitely periods of mo many civilizations interacting with each other, having having wars or whatever. Right, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, till suddenly we come up to a situation where we are born at a time where everybody's dead. So <laughs> that's in other words, the equivalent to that would be you're born on Earth and you discover that the entire planet is uninhabited. Yeah, and this is so. This is again one of the solutions to the Fermi paradox: is these kind of time scale issues, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we are the first species to evolve in the yeah. galaxy, and that's why we don't see anybody else. Or maybe uh, we're the first species to evolve after everybody else has wiped each other out already. So yes. that's that, that's a particular version of the berserker hypothesis: is that the galaxy is full of berserkers, but they haven't noticed us yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and they're just they're just on the way right it's the oh. eye of sauron yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and yeah that's absolutely correct and that is uh oh i don't want to spoil it there uh, but uh, <laughs> somebody said that very thing too when they were talking about certain something robots <laughs> Yes. That's right. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Inhibitors. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that and that that is a possibility. If we get out into the universe, and it's like we we find, as Alistair Reynolds said, it's not that life is uh, very very rare. In fact, it it seemed rather plentiful and uh, recognizable to us, but it was all dead. <laughs> Uh, and then, mm-hmm. of course, yeah. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> like, oh, that's not encouraging. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It all just, you know, it all went dead suddenly at, at different times. Yeah. Um, so has, has working on this series, Matt Williams, changed you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, for one, it, it's been uh, it's been eye opening because I've always loved the idea of the Fermi paradox and the possible resolutions. but uh, I never really had a chance to to dig into them in in great detail because I, I actually did a uh, an article a while back for interesting engineering uh, that was about the possible resolutions and and but it was a you know sort of a brief overview and it's like yeah you got this idea you got that idea and this and that and all these explanations are all cool and they all raise the same basic points and and flaws in in the theory but getting getting into any given one in detail it's like yeah it's amazing what has been said on the topic there and how it makes you think yeah and uh yeah and, and actually you you brought this up earlier when you talked about the matrix uh-huh. the most recent uh installment uh in uh, the fermi paradox series uh it's it concerns the uh planetarium hypothesis um, and that's uh, that's kind of a version of that. There, it's like let's let's take the uh, the idea. You know, is humanity living inside a simulation, which is very Matrix-like, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's sort of based on the idea that the simulation might be one of our own creation. You know, and but above all, how would we know? And and it applies it to the Fermi paradox. It's like, are we not seeing aliens because they didn't include it in the program, and and they did that on purpose? <laughs> Right, <laughs> like we're we're living inside a simulation, and um, it's it's their planetarium for us uh, as a way of keeping us under control. So while they're so pla- planetarium, meaning that we are meant to see all the stars, but that's yeah. all we get is the view. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's um it it it's a very neat idea because it's like yeah, if the uh, they're out there in the real universe, spreading and multiplying, and they made sure that anyone who came after them, um. Uh, you know, it was basically growing up inside a, a simulation there that it lets them see the universe, but it doesn't show them any evidence of intelligent life because, frankly, it doesn't want us to know. <clears throat> and that's, uh, yeah. And the fun, the fun thing about that is, is that scientists have produced papers saying, yeah, let's, let's test this. How could we figure it out? How could we... How could we see the matrix there and uh and, and know the aliens that are doing that and it's yeah that that in particular it's just so mind-bending because uh it's like well if we go by the laws of nature then and we're inside a uh what's called a uh latisse quantum chromodynamics uh simulation whoa <laughs> yeah basically the laws of of uh, quantum physics itself are being manipulated to to create like a holodeck like environment. What did I what did I tell you? Mind bending. So so yeah, so the, we'll end on we'll end on this. The the um I have never thought of of all the things I've thought could be turned for evil. Yeah. A planetarium has never been one of them. Yeah. yeah. And I'm right, you know, I've just never thought that the now I'm now I'm gonna see planetariums in a more sinister light. Okay. As well you should. An encouraging thought to take away is that, well, if uh, any simulated environment is inevitably finite, so therefore whoever's in it would discover it sooner or later, but the the thing that really messes with your mind is, is people came back, uh, other counter-arguments came back saying that, well, if you're basing this on the laws of nature as we understand them, the laws of nature are as they are simulated to us. So how do we use the simulation against the simulation when we don't even know if that's the laws of nature? At that point, it's yeah. Like, I, at this point, I'm begging for the berserkers. Yes. At that point, everyone just throws up their hands and says, "Okay, let's go for that's a right. drink." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, the procrastinator, procrastination yeah. governor effect uh, yeah. it, it comes in. So, wow, Matt, Matt 
Williams, thank you so much. I encourage everybody to go check out this uh, your your current series uh, on um, the Fermi paradox. Uh, ideas for the Fermi paradox at Universe Today is that universetoday.com? Yes, I'm guessing. Right, yeah. and go ahead. If you'll permit me a, a shameless uh, plug here, Please. Um, this yes. this is something that I I want to write about next because uh, uh -huh. yeah the uh, the I, 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 of course, like to do fiction on the side, mainly because writing about this stuff just gives me, you know, gives me so so much of a desire to write it in fiction form. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, in fact, I just uh, completed uh, my my first series, and that was mostly about terraforming and colonization. But I want to do a series of books in the future that is about the Fermi paradox and <laughs> what the what aliens could actually be doing or have done um such that we don't uh, we're not seeing them out there right now and yeah absolutely I, this this is exactly the kind of concepts i want to explore awesome. yeah mm -hmm. awesome awesome well i i see an evil planetarium in your future <laughs> oh yeah uh, <laughs> uh and we'll give a shout out to you to your wonderful the publisher fraser kane of uh Universe Today. Mm -hmm. um, we'd love to have him back on the show uh, at some point. So everyone go to Universe Today. Check them out. Um, there's also all kinds of videos um, that they, uh, Fraser makes and things like that. So that's fantastic. Um, Matt Williams, is there is there a website? Uh, where, where can people find you? Uh, beyond, you know, beyond the Universe Today. Yeah. Well, they, they can find me at uh, storiesbywilliams, all one word, mm -hmm. dot com. Uh, cool. that's Williams with two L's and yeah, that I, I post updates there and, uh, uh, sometimes thought pieces, but yeah, if, if people are looking for, uh, the, like the full range of stuff I've written, um, articles and whatnot, then yeah, it's all there. Fantastic. Yeah. And you are also, I should mention where you're a science fiction writer as well. So mm -hmm. look for your fiction should we uh look at your at your uh local independent bookstore or uh, uh amazon. amazon amazon yeah yes right. speaking of speaking of the inhibitors i think amazon is <laughs> oh yeah explain a lot yeah. the enablers could be oh, the enabler. anyway yeah. uh professor matt stanley at new york university anything you'd like to uh plug anywhere uh, you'd like to send people um no but you know come to class <laughs> but wear a mask. Mm -hmm. But wear a mask. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you have your? You, you were mentioning you were having training for the new class. That's Is right. That trying to learn how to uh, do all this stuff online. I'll let you know right. how it goes. Okay, fantastic. So shout out to all. I've also done some teaching, and and uh, my wife is a teacher. Everybody's teaching online, and uh, nervous about what comes next, uh, whether it's in person or not. So. Um, a big salute to all teachers everywhere and to the students. Um, thank you for listening. Whattheif.com is our website, and you can go there and uh, find all our episodes, uh, both the regular show, as we've been listening to here, the big, the big if, the feature, uh, as well as um, a whole bunch of um, big collection now of uh, mini episodes about the pandemic, about the coronavirus uh, awesome stories uh, behind the headlines and also what's you know happening uh, on the front lines there uh in gabby's laboratory at uh, rockefeller university and elsewhere to try to uh, fight back against covid19 the berserker <laughs> um, and uh if you haven't already I, I encourage you to go on youtube and look up berserker video game mm -hmm. and just listen to wonderful good. sound effects mm -hmm. intruder alert intruder alert <laughs> we will be back next we will be back um early next week with our uh covid19 news updates with gabby and then uh, one week from now um back to the big show we have all kinds of exciting guests lined up so we're on twitter at what the if show and also one last thing please listen if you have not subscribed to do so even more importantly most of you probably have you can do it right there on the app you're using right now for your podcast subscribe that means just the new episode show up automatically if you could I, i'm going to start a new big push as, as the fall comes around here i'd love to really start increasing our audience uh, even more so more ifers out there uh let them know we're there um you know let's fight back against the berserkers mm -hmm. or the trolls uh if they exist um leave us a review um on whatever app you're using wherever you subscribe is also where you can leave a review 
of what the if and uh, give us a bunch of stars that would be fantastic we will try to keep those stars from being oh, eaten there. and turned Did into dust so when we think of all the ifs that are coming down uh, down the pike uh flying at us from all over the galaxy and even beyond we cannot help but what is the feeling you get professor stanley when you imagine these the berserker ifs coming at us He's gone. He's really? gone, Professor Stanley. Okay, hang on, I'm back. <laughs> oh, he was wiped off the face of the face. <laughs> it. It's a little ominous to get dropped when we're having that kind of conversation. <laughs> the feeling. So the ifs are coming, the berserker ifs are coming, and you are filled with a feeling of blank horror, horror, existential terror. Yeah. Yes. And so, Matt Williams, please join us in our defensive ritual. Yes. Where we will shout yes. to the universe. What the intruder alert? See you next time. <laughs>